1 Samuel 9, verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince or leader over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? And the seer is just another word for prophet. He's actually asking for Samuel and doesn't know it. Go up before, Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I'll let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? I want to speak to you tonight about honoring God's choice. If you haven't been with us throughout this series, you may not be aware that Samuel has been called by God in this season of his life as an old man. He's literally wrapping up. Next week we'll talk about what it means to step aside and allow others to lead. That's what Samuel is in that kind of season. And so in this moment what we're seeing is Samuel being obedient to an assignment from God that Samuel in his heart did not agree with. It wasn't that he disagreed with God. It's that he knows that the people are asking God for a wrong thing when they're asking for a king. And Samuel has had to really bring himself into obedience to follow through with the assignment. That's just a little snapshot of leadership. Sometimes you've got to do work that you don't even like to do or don't agree with, but you have to obey the Lord. And so now we're following that this, this thread in Samuel's life and his unwavering walk He has been called primarily to do this. Samuel, I am God, and I want you to honor whom I honor. I want you to honor whom I honor. And that is the thread of this message tonight, because Samuel doesn't even agree with what's going on in Israel, yet he's been given a specific assignment from God, and it is again another test that he passes, a test of his obedience. Most of what we'll talk about tonight focuses on Saul and the prophetic words that come through Samuel. So buckle up and let's get into this. Verses 15 through 21 is where I want to begin. And I call those verses, I just summarize them with this phrase, divinely appointed conversations. And we have three different conversations that take place in verses 15 through 21. And the first is what God said to Samuel. Look in verse number 15, and the Bible says this, the day before Saul arrived, the day before Saul came to where Samuel was, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, now watch this, tomorrow about this time I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You, Samuel, are going to anoint him. He's going to be the leader of my people. That's what the Hebrew word better indicates, rather than prince, which sounds like royalty. It's going to be leader over my people at this point. He's going to save my people from the Philistines. I've seen my people, God says, because their cry has come to me. Now verse 17, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. It is he who will restrain my people. Why do I bring this up? 
I want us to recognize something. You, there are some things we're going to have to do by faith in this life. And here's a great passage of Scripture that really will challenge you where you're at. Sometimes we think we see everything that's going on in life. Sometimes we think we've got a good grasp about what others are doing, what God is doing, how it all fits together. And this is one of those humbling chapters in the Word of God where we find out that God is constantly moving in ways that you and I are not always privy to. And so before Saul, whose life is going to change in the next 10 verses, and Israel's history is about to change in these verses, Saul has no idea that God is having a conversation about Saul with the prophet, with Samuel. That God is initiating things and moving things and bringing things to pass that are going to impact Saul's young life. And Saul is now the young man on the scene. He's going to grow older and he's not going to finish well, but he's starting well. He's a young man. Samuel's now the old guy. And God is saying to Samuel, Samuel, when this man comes, and by the way, Samuel, here he is. I want you to anoint him. He's going to be the king. Now, I, I find this interesting because I think that we can get into a rut and, and sometimes we get impatient, and the younger you are, the more susceptible you are to this. How many of you have gone, you don't have to answer out loud, how many of you have gone through a, fra- a phase where you're just like, man, why ain't God doing something? Why isn't God moving? Well, why am I stuck? Why am I chasing daddy's donkeys? Why am I out doing mundane stuff? I've got kingdom birthed in my heart, and yet I'm chasing daddy's donkeys, and that's all I'm doing day after day. And that's the season that Saul was in. And when we get into seasons like that, we think God's not listening to us if we're not careful. We think that God's taking his eye off on us, if we, off of us if we get into a, a pity mindset. We get frustrated with other people because they're not making things happen for us. And all along, what we don't see is that God is setting pieces in motion that are going to serve us in the next chapter in the time to come. Part of faith is this, sit still, chase down daddy's donkeys, because it is through daddy's donkeys sometimes that we'll find the father's favor. And this is what Saul is about to encounter here. So look with me in verses 18 through 20. Now the conversation between Samuel and Saul takes place. Samuel is going to respond to Saul. Saul approaches Samuel in the gate and says, tell me where the house of the seer is. They're trying to get a word from the prophet about where the donkeys are. That's what Saul is doing. I got, we can't find the donkeys, so I'm going to go see the seer. Tell me where the house of the seer is. Samuel answered, I am the seer. And then he says, go up before me to the high place, for today you're going to eat with me, and in the morning I will, go, uh, I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your mind. Verse 20, as for your donkeys, here is the first prophetic word or word of knowledge, however you want to call it. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them. They have been found. And then he asks this question I'm going to come back to in a minute. Let me just pause here. Saul doesn't know Samuel. Saul doesn't have 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 8. There is no awareness in Saul. Saul is simply a guy working for his dad, looking for his dad's livestock. And if you read earlier in the chapter, Saul is really anxious about finding these donkeys. It's been three days. He's worried about his dad worrying over him. And Samuel, who has no information about the missing donkeys, humanly speaking, gets a prophetic word from the Lord. It is a download to the hard drive of Samuel's spirit. And he says, by the way, I want you to come and eat with me. I'm the prophet. I want you to come and eat with me. And let me help you out here. Stop worrying about the donkeys. They're taken care of. Now, we just read right past that. What if somebody read your mail like that? What if somebody you had never met that you just walked up to 
and just happen to be looking for the prophet in the village, and there the guy that you walk up to and say, hey, where does the prophet live? And the guy says, yeah, that's me. And within 20 seconds, the prophet's saying, I've got a feast going up on the high place. We're going to make some sacrifice. You're going to be my guest. And by the way, just so you enjoy the evening, stop worrying about your daddy's donkeys it's taken care of. Now, we read the Bible like we read a fable book. But friends, this actually happened. This was a, a prophetic word that would have immediately gained Saul's attention. And it's a sobering moment where, where somebody tells you all that's going on in your mind and your heart. And so Samuel owned the conversation, and then he deposits this little rhetorical question. It's a little tricky in the English, but he asks this question in verse number 20. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and your father's house? Now, we live in a very different culture. We speak a different language. We don't really have the paradigm of, of the prophet at the city gate and, you know, all of this stuff going on. But I want to tell you in, in common terms, today's terms, what, what that meant. Samuel is asking a question to bait Saul into thinking. He is literally bestowing honor. It has suddenly gone from searching for donkeys to something big is going on here because the prophet who just read his mail said, who is it for? Who has God set aside all that is desirable among his covenant people? Is it not for you? Is it not for you? It is a moment of destiny. It is a rhetorical question that is meant to awaken Saul to a bigger moment than just two men having a conversation. So go down into verse 21. Let's see how young Saul responds. We've seen what God said to Samuel. We've seen what Samuel said to Saul. Here's what Saul says back to Samuel. And this is about as good as you'll ever see Saul in his entire testimony. This is the moment where he is actually really shining. Saul answered humbly, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my family the humblest of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Samuel, why are you talking to me about this stuff? That's paraphrasing here. So what Saul is saying in essence is, you just said something real big, but I'm not a, I'm not a big man in the sense of a, a, a significant man. I, I'm just chasing dad's donkeys. I'm just from the tribe of Benjamin, and my family's nothing among all the families in the tribe of Benjamin. And, and, and why are you talking to me about this kind of stuff? It's amazing that um, a man who starts out in this moment with the right mindset, and if you're familiar with Saul's life, it's a tragic story. He starts off humble. He starts out surprised by the honor. He starts out overwhelmed by the goodness of God, even to the point where he's struggling with believing it. But all of this takes place in a capsulized snapshot moment. What can we learn from this? Well, let me give you just a couple of quick words of exhortation about your life and where you're living right now. Because I'm a firm believer that God is today who he was in Samuel's day. I don't believe he's changed at all. I don't think he's matured. I don't think he has uh, slimmed down in his potency or power or, or has lost any of his uh, omniscient cognitive abilities. I think God is absolutely the same in this nanosecond that he was in the day of Samuel and Saul and as, he, as he's always been even before time and matter were created. God hasn't changed a bit. 
And so God reserves the right to work in your life the exact same way that He works in Samuel's and Saul's life. And don't believe anybody that tells you that God doesn't work in ways today that He worked once upon a time. You're not going to find that in Scripture. You're going to find that in a lot of uh, theology classes, in a lot of books written by people that, that are probably a little too smart for their own good. But any teaching that says God doesn't act in the way that He used to act, my friends, let me just tell you something. God gets to do whatever God wants to do, whenever God wants to do it, with whomever He wants to do it. That's a perk of being God, if I can say it that way. He doesn't have to to ask anybody's permission. So, So what, Jeff? What's the big deal? Well, let me just ask you this. It seemed like a random encounter. It just seemed like a guy who was tired of looking for three donkeys, or looking for donkeys, ran into a prophet. But what we don't understand is God ordered the whole thing. God ordered the whole thing. Samuel, Saul had been going from city to city to city, and finally he runs out of cities, and he's desperate to see if the prophet can tell him where the donkeys are. So he ends up at the very place where Samuel, who's already been prepared the day before by the Lord, and then the Lord says, this is him, I want you to anoint him. Let me just tell you, there are divinely appointed contacts and conversations you're going to have in your life. And if we don't slow down and listen, if we don't think more deeply about the interactions, the meetings, coming across people's paths and and these what we would call chance meetings, then I believe we're susceptible to missing a lot of what God wants to do. I don't believe in a random God. And I do believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God that I actually look for purpose in any kind of divine appointment, something that the Holy Spirit will draw your attention to, and you'll be able to, if you're listening, to sense significance. It may not happen with every encounter, but there are going to be some in our lives that are significant encounters. So we are to seek to discern what God is doing with seemingly random encounters. We should be wondering what is God doing when He's stretching me, when I'm chasing donkeys, when I know I was built, made for better things than the mundane, than the average, than the status quo, than the plateau, than the dry land. And we feel like we're up on a shelf and we're saying, when's this going to end? Listen, Saul went through that in a microcosm, but it was through that enduring, faithful, mundane season, that's what God used to lead him to the place of encounter, to the place of destiny, to the place of blessings. So go down with me in verses 22 through 27. Let's look in there and let's see what Samuel does. Because remember, Samuel's been given an assignment by God, and this is where he displays deeply committed honor. This is where we talk about honoring God's choice. Watch this. First of all, it's very simple. He honors those whom God honors. Verse 22. Samuel took Saul and his young man, the servant, and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited. So this is a called feast, and Saul is now the guest of honor. There's about 30 people there. Verse 23, Samuel says to the cook, bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, look, or see, What was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So, here we see again that all of this was a divine setup. 
God had all of this stuff planned. It was already in motion before Saul had a clue what was going on. And so he goes from a guy looking for donkeys to a guy who has an encounter with a prophet to a guy invited to dinner by the prophet. When Samuel gets to the festival hall, to the dining hall, he finds, and when Saul gets to the dining hall, he finds out that not only has he been invited, but he's the guest of honor. He is put at the head of the table with 30 people sitting there, and they actually give him the choicest piece of meat. It was typically reserved for the priest when the offerings were made. This was the choice piece of meat, and it was incredible honor. All of this honor is coming from God through Samuel to Saul. Now, I don't know what we need to learn on a grand scale of this, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to testify here. I believe that we ought to show all people a basic sense of dignity and honor. I just believe that as man is made in the image of God, we ought to dignify human life any chance we get. And then there is the honoring of people who, can we say it this way, have earned honor. People that have displayed in a testimony for the Lord an appetite for things of the kingdom. They are sacrificial people. They are faithful people. They are individuals that have a heart that makes us want to be more like Jesus. And I, I do believe that those are the kind of people that we want to deeply honor, not just with a simple dignity and a, a common sense of, of being kind to one another, but these are people that we want to honor in ways that they know they're being honored. Um, I, I want to show honor to anybody I can, but I'll tell you, and I'll, you'll never know who they are, but there are two men in my life, neither one of them are a part of this church, that I know for a fact that God has told me in private, Jeff, I want you to honor these two men. One lives out of state, the other lives in state, but I know that, and, and it's, very, it's uncanny, that every now and then I'll just get a, a word from the Lord to either call them or to either send them. Neither one of them make a lot of money and they're both great kingdom servants. And God will say, I want you to honor these men. I want to honor them through you. And there is something joyful about being able to bring yourself in the presence of somebody who don't, they don't think they're worthy of honor, but you honor them. And that's what Saul received from Samuel. Saul, Samuel, excuse me, Saul doesn't understand what's going on. There's no human reason why any of this should be going on. But look at what Samuel doing. Samuel, by the way, Saul rising to power coincides with Samuel uh, leaving power. So not only is, is Saul receiving this from Samuel the prophet, he's also replacing Samuel, and Samuel doesn't hold back. I don't know how you and I are doing when things don't go our way, but there is a human tendency sometimes when we don't get our way or we don't like the way things are going that we begin to pull back, that we mitigate our faithfulness to God because we don't like the scene in which it's being played out. And there are times where God will exalt somebody and maybe even to the extent maybe it's at work, maybe it's in some social setting, maybe it's in the church or a ministry, and God, for whatever God reason he has, will exalt somebody, and at the same time we feel that that might be lowering us. Let me tell you, that's a test of character right there. What do we do when somebody else, else's exaltation is parallel to our diminishing in that arena? Well, Samuel's a perfect example, and he decided, I'm going to go all out. I'm not just going to tell Saul kind of off the cuff, hey, by the way, you're the first king of Israel. I got to go see you. Watch what happens. He, he calls him to dinner. He gives him the honorary seat. He gives him the choice piece of meat, which in that culture would have been a visible honor to everybody in there. And there's still not been a single word of explanation to Saul. Saul has no clue what's going on. 
he's probably thinking, are you sure you're dealing with the right person? You mistaken me for somebody else? Because I, and, and all of it, none of it makes human sense, but God's working. God's working. I, I think that this issue of honor, and by the way, Dustin and I are in agreement, and I think our elders would say amen to this. We, we want um, Newbridge Church to be a culture of honor. We want to honor people. We don't want to worship man. That's not going to happen here. We're too biblically grounded and Jesus-focused to worship man. But we want to honor one another. We want to honor one another as we work together as a family for advancing the great commission and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to honor one another by an equal share of the work and an equal burden of the financing of that work. We want to honor one another with our words, with our unity, with our desire to esteem other better than ourselves and, and all of that can happen because we live in empowered and indwelt by the one who just went around honoring people all the time. There was no person on earth during Jesus' lifetime that deserved more honor than him, and yet he rarely got it. But he always gave it. He always preferred others better than himself. And he, and John the Baptist would sum it up this way. It was in John's life that, that Jesus needed to increase while John decreased. And that same pattern needs to be played out in our lives. Listen, if you have an issue with envy or jealousy, I'm going I'm to write you a prescription right now. If you have an issue with envy or jealousy, it is because you are not spending enough time with Jesus. If you are constantly envying, struggling with jealousy, not being joyful when somebody else is blessed while you're in a season of not being blessed, it's an easy prescription. If you'll just commit to humble yourself and spend more time with Jesus, he will deal quickly with that envy, and he'll, he'll bring you to a place where you can rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Uh, Samuel, there's no hint whatsoever of him begrudging Saul being exalted. Now look, look down to verses 24 through 26. Again, this is relational. It's in a very short snapshot here. But not only do we honor those whom God honors, we spend time with those whom God is raising up. Now, again, we're going to see the young and the old dynamic here. Remember, Samuel's an old guy, and Saul's not at this point. Saul is a younger man, probably in his 20s, maybe his 30s, but he's a young guy comparatively. And the Bible says in verse 24, so Saul ate with Samuel that day. That's fellowship. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he laid down to sleep. Verse 26, and at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get up that I may send you on your way. And so Saul arose, both he and Samuel went outside or out into the street. Remember, we got to slow down. What is the scripture saying? What is the scripture saying? Because we believe that the word of God is inspired of the Lord, that he, he didn't arbitrarily put anything in the Word of God, that all of it was intentional and preserved by him superintending the process of the Bible being put together. When I read a passage like this, I know the Lord is saying something more than just describing the logistics of what, what Saul and Samuel did in a 24-hour period. What are we learning? Look through those verses again, and what you're going to see is that Samuel was making sure that it was a together moment, that he was spending time with this young man. Remember, he still hasn't disclosed what's going on. Saul still doesn't know he's about to be anointed the king. And so Samuel says, I want you to come down. I want you to stay with me. They spread a, 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 a place for him to sleep on the roof of the house. That was common in that day. Again, a place of honor. And the Hebrew actually indicates in those verses that they stayed up talking that night, that they spent time together. Now I want you to flash back in your mind a few chapters. Do you remember when Samuel was the young guy? 
deposited at the tabernacle by his mom as maybe a four-year-old boy, and raised as a young man. And although Eli seems to have horrible uh, faults with his own children, he did something right in his nurture of Samuel. Samuel grew up under the eye of the old man Eli, and now many decades later, Samuel is the old guy in the presence of a young guy, and he's saying, what was done unto me, I'm going to do unto him. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to spend time with him. Now, we don't have a whole lot of millennials in the room, and you've heard me use that term a lot lately, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm really, really pressing into the Lord and asking him, God, what are you doing with my generation and older as it pertains to the millennials? I don't have any Bible to back this up, and you can completely disagree with me. I feel like the millennial generation will be the last generation on earth prior to the return of Jesus. That is my opinion. You do not have to agree with me, and I won't hold you in any less esteem if you don't. That is my personal belief. I sense such a strong pull on we who are older to be looking at this generation instead of criticizing them instead of picking them apart for the way they look or the act or the music they listen to or how casual they seem to be, instead of, instead of shredding them under the, 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 the blades of our traditions and how we did faith in Christianity, instead saying, I want to be like Samuel to Saul. I want to be like Eli to Samuel. I, I want to be like Elijah to Elisha. I want to be like Paul to Timothy. I, I want to be someone. I want to be uh, like... Uh, um, Uh, Naomi to Ruth, I I want to be one who says, how can I pour my best into this one while I have opportunity? And as, as we think about generational passing the baton from one generation to another in Christianity, the only way you pass the baton to the next generation is you've got to take your hands off of it at some point. You have to release it. And that's easy to preach, but isn't it hard to do? Because we see that we're passing it off, and once it's in their hands, it's not going to look the way. They're not going to run the same way. They're going to run the same race, but they're not going to run the same way. And so as Samuel is passing this off to Saul, he's spending time with them. I, I just want to put this out there, and it's, it's just for you to consider. What's the proportion of our complaining about younger generations? And some of you may complain about my generation. You're in the baby boomer generation, and What's the proportion between us critiquing them versus us equipping them? Because the best that I can tell, it's not the, parent, uh, not the children that lay up for the parents, but the parents that lay up for the children. And so we have a stewardship of the gospel. And I learned from Samuel in his workings with Saul here how essential it is to spend time with them. You know, it's easy for me because I'm raising two. So <laughs> even if I didn't want to be around millennials, I'm going to be around at least two of them. Um, but I do. I want to be around them. Uh, being out there in the youth from time to time, just going down the hall and just seeing their energy and their, their passion. And by the way, they're here on Sunday nights for three hours studying the Word of God. The Gen Xers and the baby boomers aren't doing that. And so there is such great potential and opportunity. But do you know what I believe is missing? I don't think they have enough Samuels. Uh, I, I thank God for Christopher Peterson, Casey Ryan, and Nick Kelly and uh, Nicole Rowley, and all of you that work with them on Sundays and sometimes even on Wednesdays, because you're doing such an incredible kingdom work. You may just think you're being faithful, but God's taking your faithfulness, and He is sowing a, a redeemable seed in these young hearts that will bring forth fruit. And as we move forward into 
uh, whatever the future may look like in the church in America, I'm telling you, we're going to need these young people to be stout in the faith, and it's not going to happen unless we become like Samuel to their soul. Verse 27, speak vision to those whom God raises up. We're talking about deeply committed honor. Honor those whom God honors. Spend time with those whom God is raising up and speak vision to those whom God is raising up. Verse 27, as they were going to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he had passed on, he says this, when he has passed on, stop, Saul, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. I wish we had some background music right then because that's dun, 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 that I may make known to you the word of God, 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 God. That's the way I picture that. It's just kind of like a, a dynamic moment. I mean, listen to what Samuel has spent the evening with Saul. He's honored him. He's blessed him, but he still hadn't said a word. And in this pivotal moment where the history of Israel is about to swing on a hinge, Samuel makes it something Saul will never forget. He says to Saul, Saul, Will you send your servant on ahead of us a little bit? I need to share with you what God is saying to me about you. And he's begin in just a moment, he's going to be speaking destiny into this young man's life. Friends, I sense this so strongly. This is, I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to try to classify it. Sometimes it's a, a prophetic pulse that God will put in you. This is not just for Samuel the prophet. We look in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are lined out, and, and, the, and the gift of prophecy results in building up the body of Christ, and it's not just for prophets. There were people in Corinth that didn't have the title of prophet, but had the gift of prophecy. It means they were so in tune with the Lord that the Lord could impart a word to them. When that word came forth with them, the result was that it built up the hearer. You and I have all probably been around people that think they have the gift of prophecy and what they actually are manifesting is the gift of criticism. And the biblical gift of prophecy does not tear down, it builds up. Sometimes it'll expose, but it doesn't do it to the point of crushing. It means that a prophetic word sometimes will bring light into a situation where something needs to be exposed, but that light also brings warmth, brings heat in the sense of taking something that's cold or frozen or out of line or hardened, and it just melts it. And so Samuel says to Saul, Saul, I want to spend a few more moments with you. And he, he's going to begin to speak destiny into him. Um, I'm praying for a day, a format in this assembly, that those who want to exercise a prophetic gifting and do it in a way that it builds up, and it's constructive, and it's not chaotic, and it's not weird and silly. But in the biblical sense of it, those who have been entrusted with a prophetic gifting have the ability to use it. And I'm going to tell you, when it's used properly, it is the, by the way, it's the, it's the singular gift that Paul said, pursue prophecy more than anything. Pursue it more than anything. And if you've never seen it in action, you're missing out. I have received prophetic words from people uh, and, and positioned myself to listen and test those prophetic words. And when they are clearly from the Lord, it galvanizes your soul and it literally infuses you with whatever God's doing in that season. 
I've had the privilege of giving prophetic words. My wife also, extremely gifted in this. You never know it by looking at Amy because she just seems so sweet. Nobody looks at Amy and thinks, prophet of God or anything like that. She's just a sweet woman, but she's got a, she's got a touch on her in this element. There, there are men and women in this room right here tonight that have that touch. One of the things I'm praying is that God will open up a, a clear avenue to where we can use this gift in a way that builds us up for the glory of Jesus and for the work of the ministry. Samuel says, Saul, I want to tell you something about what God is doing in your life. So let's see what that looks like as we close out. We're going to go down into chapter number 10. I didn't read these verses, but we're going to read them together. And um, <laughs> I'm going to share with you just how intense uh, this is, what, what uh, Saul received from Samuel. So look with me in chapter 10. And we're going to talk about dramatically displayed results. And this is where it's just so potent with, with the prophetic element. First of all, Samuel creates a moment with Saul intentionally. It, it wasn't just that he wanted to have a word. What was that word? What did that moment look like? In t- chapter 10 and verse 1, Samuel took a, pardon me, a flask of oil. He pours it on Saul's head. He kisses him in that Middle Eastern sense of of kissing and honor. And then he begins to speak to him. And we're going to look at what he says in a moment. But I want you to get into the moment with me again. I want you to put yourself in Saul's sandals. Saul has no clue what's going on. He knows that the prophet of God read his mail about the donkeys. He knows that a word has been spoken over him about him being the recipient of all that is desirable in Israel. Then he was the honored guest at a meal. He's still with the prophet. And by the way, if you've ever hung out with a prophet, you're kind of walking on eggshells. And a person that's got a, a clear gift of prophecy, they can make you nervous because you're thinking, what else do they see about me? You know, you can, you can kind of get on eggshells. But so far, no explanation has been given to Saul. And so Samuel says, Saul, come here. And he takes out a flask of oil. And he begins to pour it on Saul's head. And he, he gives him that Middle Eastern kiss of honor. And then he begins to speak to him. This was an intentionally created moment. Let's think about this. We're not a very liturgical church. And if you don't know what I mean by liturgical, it means we don't have a lot of open, formal, formatted, visible, tangible traditions that we move in. I don't want to be overly liturgical, but I don't really want to be non-liturgical either. God is big on symbolism. God is big on moments that crystallize what he's doing. And here is one of them where Saul, the young man, is before Samuel, the old man, who is the prophet. And and these three things happen. Samuel, probably being directed of the Lord here, takes out the flask of oil. So Saul saw the moment. It was visible. He saw it. And then he pours it on Saul's head. So Saul felt the moment as the senses of feeling, as the oil ran down his head and his beard and onto his shoulders and his garments. So he saw it, he felt it. Then Samuel kissed him, of course, and so that's another sensation. It was, it was impossible to extract this from Saul's memory in later years. And then he begins to speak to him. So he also heard the moment. He saw it, he felt it, and he heard it. It was an intentionally created moment. When we had uh, all of the uh, couples on the stage on Sunday and uh, all of the babies up here, um, part of the reason for that is it's an intentionally created moment. It's visual, it's sensory, and it's audible. 
and it writes itself upon minds and memories, and not to mention we've got it on media so these couples can relive it with their children as they grow. Those are the kind of moments I'm talking about with children and grandchildren, with brothers and sisters. We hope to be doing some ordinations of at least two men, uh, either one by the end of this year or both of them early next year. We have two men that serve on staff here that have not been ordained, and we were waiting for Newbridge to become an ordained, or excuse me, a constituted new entity. And we want to ordain them. And it's not just handing them a certificate so they can get a tax break with Uncle Sam. It means we'll lay hands on them. We'll pray over them. We'll speak prophetically over their lives and what we see in their ministry, and we will make it a sensory moment. Friends, I think that in time to come, the hustle and bustle of our lives are going to have to give way at some point to us slowing down and drinking deeply at the well of God's presence. Not rushing through our services, not rushing through our lives, not rushing through our families where years spin out of control, and before you know it, your kids have grown up and they're out the house, and you're like, what happened? It's the same way here. Samuel makes an important moment with Saul. And then this is what he says. Look down at verse number one. These are destiny-infused words. Has not the Lord anointed you to be a, the Hebrew word indicates a leader. Prince is okay, but that we think of England when we hear that. It's a, it's a leader over his people Israel. Saul was really going to become king, but he's being dispatched right now as the leader. And he says, you'll reign over the people of the Lord. You, Saul, are going to save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And then he says this, This shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. This is the moment. This is where everything that's kind of been moving on these periphery, Samuel just reaches in and in one moment brings it all home to Saul's heart. And he says, this is what God has been doing. I told you I wanted to share the word of the Lord with you, Saul. And this is the word of the Lord. You are going to be the first king of Israel. You're going to lead God's people. That's what the anointing was about. That's what the honor at the feast was about. And that's what he's, and he's about to, in case Saul has any doubt, Samuel is about to load Saul's wagon with so many prophetic words that Saul would have to hire a team of lawyers to confuse him about what God was saying. Now watch this. It's in this incredible moment where Saul might be tempted to say, Samuel has lost it. He doesn't know who he's dealing with. I'm on donkey dispatch. I am not a guy out set to be the king. You've got the wrong guy. Samuel doesn't give him the opportunity to doubt. And here's the undergirding of this prophetic word that you are going to be king, Saul. What does Samuel do? Watch this. Look at the end of verse 1 again. This shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Saul, in case you don't believe it, I'm about to tell you that in a few days you won't have any choice but to believe it because here's what's going to happen. And Samuel proceeds to do something that is, in my, I can't find anywhere else in the Old Testament where you see this volume of prophetic word given at one point. Let me, for, for lack of time, if you will read verses 2 through 8, I'm about to summarize it for you. This is what Samuel says. Samuel says, Saul, so that you will know that what I have spoken about you being king is true, let me tell you what's going to happen in the next couple of days. Samuel says to Saul, 
you're going to be meeting one, two, three, four, five distinct individuals, and then a day later, you're going to meet a roving band of prophets. So Samuel, first of all, says, let me tell you about some people you're going to meet. And then Samuel quotes to Saul what two of the men would be saying to Saul. He actually tells Saul, when you meet two of these guys, here's exactly what they're going to say to you. Then Samuel foretells another three men coming to Saul, and he says, Saul, when you see these three men, here's what they're going to have in their hands. This one is going to have this in his hands, this one's going to have this in his hands, and the third one's going to have this in their hands. And Samuel, in order to just keep layering Saul with the opportunity to have faith, he says, and Saul, one of those men is going to give you this from his hand, and you're going to take it and receive it. Now, remember, none of this has happened yet. This is all a prophetic torrent coming from God through Samuel. Then Samuel says, and Saul, you're going to be meeting a band of prophets, and they're going to be coming from this distinct area. You're going to see that in the next couple of days. And by the way, Samuel says, these prophets are going to be playing these instruments as they prophesy. And he names off three or four different instruments that they're going to be playing. And then Samuel says, and when they come down prophesying to you, the Spirit of God is going to rush upon you. So Samuel says, you're going to have an encounter with God in the next 48 hours that is going to absolutely rock your world. Now Saul's just sitting there, you know, probably trying to get the olive oil out of his eyes because he's, you know, just freshly anointed. And Samuel's just boom, boom, boom. The best I can tell in this one conversation, Samuel gives no less than 12 specific words of knowledge or prophetic words, however you want to classify them. He gives them no fewer than 12. And then he gives one commitment when he says to uh, Saul what what he is going to be doing. Samuel says, Saul, here's what you can expect of me. And then he gives one assignment to Saul. So in one moment, this is what Samuel is doing. Samuel is sharing his gifting, purposefully sharing his gifting. He's not awkward. He's not ashamed. He's not afraid. He's not hesitant. He's not bashful. And he's not waiting on anybody to give him permission. He says, Saul, this is such an important moment. You need to have confidence that this is of the Lord. And so the seer tells Saul what he sees. And by the way, if you read the remaining chapters, every single one of those prophetic utterances came to pass. Say, Jeff, I don't have a grid for this. So what? Why are you telling me this? Well, friends, I'm just asking you to think. Even those of you that may have a charismatic Pentecostal background, do you see this kind of level of prophetic activity in the churches you've been that are accurate? I mean, anybody can say, I got a prophetic word, and we don't hold people accountable for whether or not it comes to pass. Anybody can do that. That's just blah, blah, blah. But I'm talking about an anointing where God takes a surrendered person who saturates himself or herself in the presence of the Lord, and from that intimacy with the Almighty, there comes forth an expression of prophetic revelation. Uh, You say, well, Jeff, I don't really think God does that anymore. Well, if that's true, it's not because he's changed. It's not because he's stopped speaking. If that's true, it's because we're not listening. And so what I am saying is there is a whole... uh, What's the word? A a whole nother level of what God can be doing in and through ordinary people like me and you if we will have that unwavering walk that Samuel had. Let me tell you how to recognize this, and I'm I'm out of time. I see what time it is. I got about five more minutes, but bear with me here. 
When I grew up, and of course I grew up in a, in a denominational flavor that didn't believe in prophecy at all. Prophecy was the book of Revelation and the book of Isaiah, and that was kind of it. But I would hear people all the time say, you know, the Lord laid you on my heart, and I, I, I'm calling today because you've just been on my heart. And the person on the other end of the phone, I can't believe you called right now. I so need to talk to somebody. And, and we would call that just God laying somebody on our heart. Can I tell you what that is? It's prophecy. It's a prophetic word when you're coming and you begin to speak edifying. You're hearing from the Lord. It's discernment. And then when you're speaking edifyingly to somebody, that is a prophetic word, especially if you're, you're hitting it pinpoint. But we wouldn't call it that. We would say, well, God laid you on my heart, and that kind of prettied it up, and everybody could nod. And, or, or, or then, you know, you, you'd, have a, you'd have a chance encounter with somebody. You know, you, somebody's on your heart, and you, then you bump into them, and you'd have that same thing. We always talked about God laid you on my heart. And what I just want to do is just say, it's okay to use Bible terms. And, you know, the, the Lord just, listen, I love you, and the, the Lord kind of just gave me a caution. I just want to share this with you. I, I don't know if it's true, and I just felt like God maybe wanted me to reach out to you, and ABC, XYZ, and you say that. And we just call that kind of stuff like, you know, the Lord spoke to my heart, and the Lord brought you to mine. Well, friends, if it's the Lord, let's just go ahead and be robust. Let's just go ahead and say, you know, I really feel like, as your brother in Christ, that that God brought me alongside of you today just to tell you that he loves you, that he hasn't given up on you. I sense that maybe you're carrying a, a strong weight of anxiety or hurt. And I just want to tell you, I hear God speaking his delight over you, his pleasure over you, and you can infuse those words with scripture. And, and you've stepped back and you've actually entered in. It may not look exactly like Samuel. That's a level that I don't operate on. I, I don't have, Lord, if you want to pour out that anointing, he probably does. He's probably saying, why don't you walk like Samuel walked and you'll get to do what Samuel did, right? I'm confessing my sins again right here in front of y'all. I need to stop doing that. Point being is this. Um, Saul would never be able to doubt that God was giving him a great opportunity to be king because it was backed up by prophetic words. So we get down to the very end, and I'm really going to be done. Verses 9 and 10. So what's the back end result of this? You go down to verses 9 and 10. So the conversation between Samuel and Saul is over. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, the, the, the issue is it was almost instantly. As soon as, as soon as Saul began to walk away, it was time to go. God gave him another heart. The Lord did something on the back end of those destiny-infused words and those prophetic words, and something shifted inside of Saul. And then you read the narrative. All these signs came to pass that day. So it wasn't even 48 hours, it was one day. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met Saul, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and Saul prophesied among them. All of the signs came to pass, and what was the radical fruit that was manifested there? Saul, just by receiving the prophetic word, maybe even having something to do with just being in the presence of Samuel for a short time, God chose that moment to radically shift not only what Saul would do, but who he was. It was an inward change of some sort. Now, Saul did not steward it well. Saul did not steward it well. Saul would end up ultimately hardening that heart that God had turned. And so, you know, we can get into a whole debate on what that means. But the fact of the matter is, Scripture says in that moment, 
Saul was transformed by the Lord, and he had everything in seed form that he would need to be faithful unto his God and to be a great king if he had chosen to be. What do we learn from this as we close? Some of you feel like right now you're in a season of chasing down daddy's donkeys and you're not real happy about it. There are no prophetic words. There is no sizzle to your faith. It's just kind of quiet. Your prayers don't feel infused with dynamite. Your vision is cloudy at best. You're distracted horizontally by all the chaos of the American culture and the political scene and the racial division and the economic uncertainty and oil lines bursting in Alabama and all of this stuff. I mean, there's no shortage of things for the Christian in America to be distracted by. So we come into a room like this a couple of times a week and God just has to shut the doors on all the noise going on out there. And this is what he's asking you. I know you don't hear me right now. I, don't, I know you don't see me moving right now. You don't hear me. You don't see me. You may not sense me. But child, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because in one day, Samuel, excuse me, Saul went from mundane nothingness to being anointed into his destiny, receiving a transformed heart and moving forth in the power of God the Spirit in a way that he never had before. That's what the Lord can do. Look for it. Seek it. Pursue it. Expect it.